Well, again, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central City Church, and I'm just going to keep talking. Um, So, a couple of months ago, earlier this summer, um, we began a sermon series called The Art of Neighboring, and um, we asked the question, we actually only did one week of that series. Um, because then we moved here and so we redirected. Um, But we're coming back to it. So we we asked the question, what if Jesus actually meant what he said when he said to love your neighbors? What if Jesus actually meant that? And so we decided, we said, okay, well, let's meet our neighbors. Did anybody meet your neighbor this summer? You've had eight weeks? A couple people met your neighbors. Just one. Anybody meet one new neighbor? That's pretty good. That's pretty good, guys. That's exciting. Okay, so um, on the front of your update, this is what um, we're getting all of this, or most of this. This all came from a book called The Art of Neighboring. And so they um, created what they call a block map. Um, and so on the front of your update, you can see that. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to take a minute here. And I want to see if you guys can write down the names of your neighbors. If you can write down any like relevant information, data, or facts about them. And then if you can write down any like in-depth information that you could only learn by actually having a conversation. Not that they drive a red car. Anybody could figure that out. But like in-depth information that only you can you could only know if you actually talk to them. So take a couple. Just take a minute and just jot down some stuff. No cheating. You guys, I can hear you're talking to each other. No, I'm just kidding. If you live in the same house, I guess you can talk to each other. I know. Make you feel really bad about... I know, sorry. Does not apply. You just write N-A. Yeah. Okay, so how many of you can at least name all eight of your neighbors? Anybody? Or like whatever this means. All right, a couple people can name all eight of them. Anybody, can anybody name five of your neighbors around you? Five? Three? Anybody name three? All right. One? Anybody name one neighbor around you? Okay, most of you can at least name one. That's really good. That's a really good start. Um, So because I was preaching on this, I'm going to get to this later, but I can't really preach on something if I haven't done it, right? So that that would be awkward. Um, But so this week, I was like, I'm preaching on this. I have to go meet my neighbors. So I met three new neighbors this week. (laughs) I knew a couple of them already, so then there were some that I hadn't actually gone across the street to meet them, and so I met them this week. And it was easy, one, because I was preaching on this, so I had, like, that motivation to do that. But then I also, those three neighbors have babies who are probably around the age of one. And if you didn't know, we're throwing a birthday party for any baby on the west side of Columbus who's turning one in the year 2018. So I had like a good like something to actually talk to them about. So it was kind of an easy assignment for me. Um, I had an excuse. Um, but so many times it can slip away from our consciousness that Jesus calls us to actually love 
our neighbors. It can become so, it can also become so metaphorical that we don't think that we have to know and love our actual neighbors. A lot of times when you hear a sermon on the Good Samaritan, like we talked about several weeks ago, we usually think about who is our neighbor. Well, it's all of the people in the world. We're all neighbors, which is a good thought. That's a good idea, right? But then sometimes we can say, like, well, everyone is my neighbor, so that doesn't mean I have to meet my neighbor next door. Because everyone is my neighbor. I'm loving my neighbors because I'm loving the person who I sponsor in Guatemala. I'm loving that person, so I don't have to love my neighbor next to me. Sometimes it can become so metaphorical that we forget that Jesus means to actually love our neighbors. So today I want to share um, some scripture with us. Um, Then I want to walk through some barriers to neighboring and then also some practical steps that we can take if you haven't already met all eight of your neighbors or however many you have, um, some practical steps that we can take to actually meeting and loving our neighbors. So I'm going to throw up some scripture. It's going to be on the screen. Um, We're going to dig into something a little later, but you don't have to turn here if you don't want to. Um, But first I want to look at Leviticus 19 verse 18. Now this is kind of the first place in scripture. Can you see it even though I'm like standing here? Okay. Um, This is kind of the first place in scripture that it really says to love your neighbor. So this is what it says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in this verse, if we look before the first 17 verses in this chapter, um, are, are saying things like, do not lie, do not steal, do not slander against other people, judge your neighbor fairly. And so the end of, of this verse says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's basically summing up the first 17 verses. This book is what we call book of the law. So Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are, and, and Exodus has some of the law as well. Those are books of the law. So every Jewish person would, um, would know this law. They would say, God says it's in the law to love your neighbor as yourself. But most times, as we all do, and as we talked about several weeks ago, we want to justify ourselves, right? Well, who is my neighbor? Well, what do you mean love them? Does it mean stay away from them? Because that could sometimes be the most loving thing to do, right? <laughs> Staying away from our neighbor. Does it mean calling code enforcement because their lawn isn't mowed? What does loving our neighbor actually mean? And so later in scripture, in Deuteronomy, um, chapter 22, it has to get more specific because we want to justify ourselves. And so later, this is, I, I love this this section. I I just found it um, again, and I just love this. It says, Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 through 4. You shall not watch your neighbor's ox or sheep straying away and ignoring them. You shall take them back to their owner. If the owner does not reside near you or you do not know who the owner is, you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until the owner claims it. Then you shall return it. You shall do the same with a neighbor's donkey. You shall do the same with a neighbor's garment. And you shall do the same with anything else that your neighbor loses and you find. You may not withhold your help. You shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and ignore it. You shall help to lift it up. So it got so specific that the scripture had to tell us to not ignore when our neighbor loses, when their their dog runs away. 
that happened to me this week. And our neighbor brought our dog back. And I was like, you're being so neighborly. You brought my, you returned my, she kind of looks like a sheep, my sheep back to us. So scriptural, so biblical. Um, But this last verse, you shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and ignore it. You shall help to lift it up. That caught something in me. When we see the brokenness around us and we do nothing to help lift it up, I don't think we're following Jesus. Maybe not in that moment. But this verse is a great picture of neighboring. But again, throughout all of scripture, we're human, right? And so we continue to not do that. Even though we got so specific, we continue to not love our neighbor. And so by the time Jesus got here, we still didn't know how to be good neighbors. We still didn't know what it meant to love God and love our neighbors. And we're still making excuses about what it means to neighbor and who our neighbors actually are. And so Jesus had this conversation about loving our neighbors. He's had it in three of the gospel accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. Now, Joe, back in June, had preached on the Luke passage. And that's probably the most known passage around this because it's when the, when the expert in the law asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. A lot of us know about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We know that the one who was actually being the good neighbor was the one who we least expected. But the other two times that this story comes up in the Gospels, Jesus has a different conversation. Um, I want to... The first one is in Matthew 22 through 34, 22 verses 34 through 40. He says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him or an expert of the Jewish law. This expert asked, teacher, which commandment is the, in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, after this conversation, Jesus goes on to teach. He then has the same, that same conversation with an expert in the law in uh, Mark 12. So this is where I want to kind of dig in. So if you want to turn, if you have a Bible with you or a smartphone, um, it will be on the screen behind me. But if you want to turn and follow along, we're going to look at Mark Chapter 12, verse 28 through 44. So Jesus has already been in some conversation with some Pharisees and Sadducees who are kind of testing him. They want to know what his answers are on some of the law and and what they're supposed to do because they really want to find a way to slip him up. But then an expert in the law steps in. He's overheard the conversation and now he wants to chime in and see what Jesus says on this. So verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbors as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, 
You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. So then Jesus continues, if you're looking at your... at the scripture, there's a, there's a couple of verses. Jesus continues to teach about David. Um, and then he goes on to say, he says, as he taught, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The scribes and the Pharisees and the experts in the law know what to do. They say the right things. They teach the people the right things. They know the law. But even as Jesus is teaching and had this conversation about loving our neighbors, the juxtaposition of watching this widow who has nothing offer everything she has because she knows she has to give something to the synagogue is just a startling image in our minds. They know what to do, but what they teach is different than what they live. And this is why the world doesn't trust the church. This is why the world doesn't trust the church, because we are no different than these scribes sometimes. We know, we say all the time, even churches have as their mission statements, love God and love others. It's as simple as that, right? And yet, a lot of the times, we go by our everyday lives and we don't even know our neighbors' names. And we don't know what it looks like to love our neighbors. We teach love God and love your neighbor, and yet our neighborhoods are filled with addiction and with kids growing up, out, growing up without mentors and um, people who are just lonely, lonely people. Parents who are struggling, people who can't physically take care of their homes, and yet we're saying, love God and love your neighbor. And we forget to look at our own neighborhood. If we would just live what we preach, our neighborhoods and our world would look so much different. So like I said earlier, this sermon series is coming from a book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. Um, I've probably read, like, like less than half of it, so that's not really a huge reader. You know, I read, like, up to, like, there. Um, because the, the premise of the book is so simple. The premise of the book is so simple. It's great because it provides example after example of instances where when we step out in faith and we step out even when we're afraid, we see God show up. And so I love reading those examples. But the premise is so simple. As a group of pastors got together, um, if you read this book, you'll hear this story. So a group of these pastors got together and they began to imagine their city being different. And they began to ask that question, how can we help our city become better, become different? And so they engaged in conversation with city officials. They asked mayors to come. They asked 
um, representatives to come and talk about what can they do as pastors, as churches, to help make their city different. And um, one conversation really caught their attention. Um, an official from the city said, from the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. There isn't a noticeable difference between how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our communities. And I say communities because I don't think it was just this community. I think it's, it's real in Grandview, it's real in Worthington and Dublin and everywhere you live. There's not a noticeable difference between you and your neighbor who is non-Christian. Me and my neighbors who are non-Christian. This got me thinking about um, a verse in Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And Jesus says, we are the salt of the earth. He says you. I'm saying we because I'm not Jesus. We are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. What are we doing if we no longer look different than those around us? If we are no longer salty? What if Jesus actually meant what he said when he said to love our neighbors? Can we really say that we are following Jesus when we really, can we really say that we are Christians if we don't even know our neighbors' names? If we see brokenness all around us and we do nothing to help lift it up? This is really challenging in my neighborhood. If some of you don't know, I live in the bottoms in Franklinton. And um, we have sex workers on our corner. We have a drug house directly diagonal from us. Um, we have neighbors who have had to leave because they can't afford um, the rising cost of housing in our neighborhood. Um, we have children who are living with their grandparents because their parents have either OD'd or no longer have custody of them. So neighboring is really difficult. And I know in your neighborhoods there is addiction and there are kids without parents. And there are seniors who are struggling to afford housing. Our neighborhoods look all the same. And so as I walk into this, I think, oh, it's too much. <laughs> I'm just going to like go inside, close my door, keep my curtains closed. If I don't see them, then I forget that I don't have to deal with any of those problems, right? There's so much, so much to carry. But what I realized was that it's not about fixing all of those problems. That's not what neighboring is about. Neighboring is being present in people's lives even when we don't have the answer. So when I know that my neighbors have one-year-olds, I can invite them to something that they can go to. Whether or not they need what is there, it's still a place for a conversation. That I can just be present in someone's life crazy thing because I'm a fixer like I like to fix problems if someone tells me they have a need I'm like oh okay let me figure out how can I even if it like completely messes up and I don't actually have the solution to it I try and provide that um, and so I walked across the street and I met this woman and she was just standing outside um, her house waiting for her husband to come home and 
Um, she starts telling me, like, they don't have a car, and she's trying to get to, to Akron. And my first thing is, like, well, we have, we have an extra car. Don't do that. <laughs> don't give your neighbor you don't know your extra car in five minutes of meeting them. So I, you know, took a breath and said, oh, man, that's really difficult. That's really difficult. And that's okay. People don't expect us to have all the solutions to their problems. But for her, for us to be able to talk for 10 minutes while she's waiting on her husband to get home was so easy and was able to brighten her day and mine, even after the rough days that both of us had. And she commented on that. We don't have to fix all of the problems. So this book is called The Art of Neighboring because neighboring is more an art than a science. We don't have a, a, a script on what to do when you say or when you meet your, your neighbors. We are all people, and people are so different. And as you begin to engage with your neighbors, they might think you're crazy, or they might think that you have a hidden agenda, um, because this is not normal. This is not normal to, be, to meet your neighbors, to walk up to people's doors. But this is where we get our saltiness back. This is where we can become the salt of the earth again. When we become to become, when we begin to look different than the people around us. But I know that we have a lot of buts, right? But I'm too busy this week, so maybe when things slow down. But my kids are in the car and I don't want to get them out because it'd be too much, so you know, I'll just I'll do it later. But I've never seen anything good come out of that house, so I'll just like not I'll just ignore them. Nothing good comes out of there. But what if something bad happens? But I'm an introvert. This is my favorite one. But I'm an introvert, and I've had to talk to people all day, so not today. We have all these butts. William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, if any of you read that, I did not, because like I said, I'm not a reader. Um, but he wrote, in an introduction to this other book, he wrote, Relationship has always been the wild card, the court jester who appears in the midst of our human agenda and our hallucinations of independent self-sufficiency, revealing by any means that the emperor is naked. When you even skim the edges of relationship, you submit to mystery and you lose control. Marriage would be so much easier if there wasn't another person involved. But then it would be meaningless, too. Relationships are entwined, entrenched, elusive, messy, enabling, enrapturing, maddening, exhilarating, frustrating, exposing, and too beautiful for words. There are moments when we think we might finally have a whisper of control over our world, and then whoosh, in comes someone who, com- who knocks it completely sideways. Relationships are messy, and sometimes we have our set agenda. We have the things we can control, and we don't want to lose that. But in the grand scheme of things, relationships are much more important than anything else. We all have a need for genuine community, and nothing beats the frequency, the availability, and spontaneity of connecting deeply with others who live nearby. Some of the barriers we experience are time and fear. We have bought into the lie that we are busy. It is a lie that we are busy. We choose our priorities and we make our schedules. 
We bought into the lie that we don't have enough time, that we can't be interrupted. The gospel calls us to choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of busyness and accumulation. It's about making room in our lives for the people around us, for our family as well as our neighbors. Our kids don't have to be in every sport and activity available to them. We can ask ourselves, is it more important that my kid have the potential to be a soccer star? Or is it more important that I follow Jesus? Is it more important that I watch another episode of Stranger Things tonight? Or is it more important that I go outside and be available to my neighbors? We've also bought into the lie that we need to be afraid of people. That's one of the things that has just been pushed at us constantly. That you need to fear people who are different. Fear people who don't look like us. But 1 John says that perfect love casts out all fear. And love is from God. Perfect love from God can overcome the artificial fears that we develop. And let me tell you, people begin to lose their scariness when we know their name. People begin to lose their scariness when we know their name. There's this guy who I've seen him drive. He lives um, like three doors down on the other side of the street from us. And they kind of look like a rougher family. Um, they're one of the families that I noticed they had kids younger, like a one-year-old or something. I kind of, But he's like pretty rough. I'm like, he's a little scary. I don't know if I want to go knock on his door. I don't know what he's going to do. He's like a little white girl walking up to his door. And so, but I'm like, no, like, he has kids. He can't be that bad, right? I don't know if that's true or not. But that's, you know, I'm just like trying to, you know, hype, my, hype myself up for this. So I walk over there, and he is like the nicest man that I, not that I've ever met, but he's just such a really nice man, and his name is Josh. And then yesterday, so that was, no, so I met him on Thursday, and on Friday, uh, Joe and I were grilling outside our house, and we're sitting on our stoop, and he drives by and waves up, like sticks his hand out the window to wave. Like the nicest guy, and now we know him. Perfect love casts out all of those fears that we have, all of those judgments that we don't even know are real. Jesus never said that following him would be easy or comfortable, but when we do follow him, he promised that we would have God's spirit before us and with us and behind us, and we have to trust Jesus in that. Never said it would be easy or comfortable, but it's what he's still calling us to do if we choose to follow him. So we have these, these barriers of time and fear, and once we can get past that, then we're like, okay, now what? Now what do I do? Is there, is there a to-do list here? Is there some, some steps I can check off? And I do have a couple steps just to help us get started. If you're like, I don't know what to talk about or anything like that, um, we don't really know the first step. But the first step to engage in the art of neighboring is to be available. Now this is a hard one for me because I am so focused on like my schedule and everything getting done and always being productive. But when I'm just available, then God moves in more ways than I can imagine. So sit outside on your step or get a chair and sit outside. Go for a walk around your block and actually make eye contact with people, which can be really hard and really, really, really awkward. Uh, but make eye contact, say hi, um, 
It might not go anywhere at first, the first time or the second time or the fifth time. It might not go anywhere. But eventually, as you begin to say hi to people, people can open up and know that you are available, see that you're available, and be able to actually engage in that conversation. It can lead to introductions and eventually getting to know one another. And if you're a little more bold and you don't just want to say hi as you walk around the block, um, knocking on people's doors works because there's a, an audience there. Um, it can be like really awkward, but even acknowledging that awkwardness can be an icebreaker in the conversation. Just saying, hey, I know this is really awkward and we've both lived here for the last 20 years, but my name's Alyssa. <laughs> that can be really awkward. I read some stories in the book of they've like, yeah, we all lived in this neighborhood for the last 15 years and none of us knew each other's names. We see each other in and out of our houses all the time, but we don't know names. So just acknowledging the awkwardness can be um, a great icebreaker to the relationship. So now you all have on your updates a block map. And this can also be a good, really good first step of just, and it can even be like, hey, I go to this church and they're making me meet all my neighbors. So <laughs> use us as an excuse. It's okay. We also have magnets that are really cool on the back information table that you can stick on your fridge and you can write your neighbor's names on there. So as you're, as you're getting your milk in the morning or whatever you're doing, you can see every day your neighbors and keep it in front of you, even praying for them, praying that God would open the conversation to the blank spaces that you don't yet know those names. So you can grab those on your way out. We have plenty back there, and if we don't have plenty, I can get more, so not a problem. But the goal is to move from strangers to acquaintances. There is fear of the stranger, but once we know someone's name, the fear begins to dissipate. And so we want to move into that space of acquaintances, knowing their names, maybe where they work, that kind of stuff. And looking forward, so moving from strangers to acquaintances, but then also moving, beginning the process, because relationships take time, but beginning the process of moving from acquaintances to a relationship. And so as we begin to be available to meet people, then we also want to be available to provide space for those, those acquaintances to become real relationships and provide room for relationships. So this fall, um, this August, September time period, we want to encourage people to um, have a block party. I think we brought this up at the beginning of the summer. And so, but you probably forgot about it, and you were busy meeting your neighbors, so that's okay. So now we want to encourage you to move to that step of being available. And a block party, you know, earlier, a couple weeks ago, we went to this really amazing block party that had a pool and a bounce house, and it had um, ABC6 there, and they did the weather from the block party. Um, Kat and Brian heard this challenge earlier this summer to have a block party, and so they put their name in the hat with ABC6 to get a free block party provided by them, and they won this raffle, and it was great. You guys entered a raffle. It was a drawing. A drawing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let that one go. Uh, so, uh, so they won. It was really great, but it was it was huge. I mean, it was for a hundred people. Uh, probably, how many do you think showed up? Around 70, like half neighbors and half, a lot of you guys were there. 
Um, so it was really cool. We got to meet some of the neighbors that live in their neighborhood. They probably met a few new neighbors. Um, really great. That does not have to be your scale. <laughs> your scale can be, hey, I'm having a potluck in my house. Would you want to come and bring a dish to share with a couple other families in this area? That's what we're looking for. Some of you live in Worthington or Dublin, Pickerington or Whitehall. Some of you live in Grandview even. Some of us are on the west side. Even If you know someone who lives in your neighborhood and they're really good hosts, you know, like they know how to make a party. It might even be cool to partner with them and say, hey, I want to do this party thing, but you are really good. You have the gift of hosting people and putting all those pieces together. And it might be a great way to even build a relationship that way. Come together and, and bring people together to be able to begin that step towards relationship. This could be the spark to end the opiate crisis. To reduce infant mortality in our city. To care about widows and orphans living right here in our city. This could be the spark. The greatest tool the enemy has is isolation. The enemy isolates us from one another and we choose not to let other people in and we choose not to get involved in other people's lives. And so much happens when we're isolated from one another. That's when addiction is fueled. That's when loneliness is fueled. And so we challenge you to continue to learn the names of your neighbors, to think through what it would look like for you to gather your neighbors for a block party. Also on the back table is um, like a how-to guide for throwing a block party. So if you're thinking about it, or even like, this might happen, I just want to, I'm just curious, no commitment, I won't look, who's grabbing one? Um, You can grab one even if you're just curious. Um, The band is going to come back up here, Uh, you guys can make your way up here, they're going to come back up and we're going to do one more song, Um, but after that, I would encourage you, practice makes perfect, right? Conversations can be awkward, meeting new people can be awkward. But practice makes perfect, and so I would encourage you to meet your neighbors around you in the chairs that you're in. Maybe even writing down their names, learning some things about them. So don't leave right away. Meet some people here. That can kind of give you the, the encouragement or the courage to meet your neighbors when you get home from church later this afternoon. But um, let's pray, and then uh, we can stand and join in our last song of worship. God, we we want to follow you. We want to be known by you, and we want to know you, and we know that you are with the brokenhearted, that you are with the other. And God, we just pray that you would give us your spirit, that we would um, have that five seconds of courage, that we would um, have the words to say, that you would uh, protect us in these moments, that you would... Um, just kind of push that fear out of our heads and out of our hearts that we might truly engage with the people that you have put around us. We believe that you have put us in these places, in these neighborhoods, in this city for a reason, and we just pray that you would use us, God, that we would be open and available to the people around us, that we might truly learn what it means to follow you, And that we might be the answer to all of our prayers that this brokenness would end. Pray that you would be with us this week and that you would guide us through all of these conversations.
the credits in Jesus' 